Welcome to How I Got Hired. This is the podcast to inspire ambitious professionals just like you to find that job you love or completely reinvent your career. I'm your host, Sonal Behel, founder of Supercharge and career strategist. And every week, I hold conversations with ordinary people from around the world who've had extraordinary success in finding their dream job so you can learn how they got hired. Now, listen to this. I love spending countless hours plotting and executing a major career shift. Said no high-level executive ever. And this is why I do what I do. These are the words of my next guest, Deborah Feldman. Deborah has worked in a variety of operational, marketing, and tech leadership roles in the healthcare industry, including at the prestigious New York Presbyterian Hospital. So how did Deborah go from all of that to helping over a thousand senior level executives to figure out what they want next and how to get there? Well, let's find out, shall we? Deborah, very warm welcome to the show. Oh, Sanal, thank you so much for inviting me. I've been excited and looking forward to this for a while. Me too, me too. I'm so happy we are finally able to get together. Um, so, Deborah, we're going to get cracking about all the stuff related to your career. And typically, I like to start off our conversation by going and reflecting back a little bit before we look at the present. So, for our listener here, this is interesting. So, you studied nursing and then you did a master's in public health. Uh, in epidemiology, what a relevant thing <laughs> in today's world. Is, so, yes. Yeah. So, so talk to us about getting hired at your first job from back then. Is there something that sticks out in your head about the hiring experience and what it is that helped you to stand out? Um, I think, let me, skip, let me skip to my second job. My first job out of college, at a graduate school, was facilitated by a professor who basically picked up a phone and recommended me for a new department that was starting. And I basically walked in there and um, I worked for the New York State Department of Health as a hospital inspector. And about a year and a half into that role, I was um, recruited away by one of the customer hospital, one of the client hospitals which happened to be New York Presbyterian. Mm. Since I had done my nursing there, I, it was a, I was, my face was familiar. I knew everyone from the elevator operator to the transporters, to the guards, to this senior vice president in charge of a new program called Quality Assurance. And I was just very flattered and very excited about going into administration in a place where I had trained. And I did that. Um, and after about four, and I was very lucky because maybe it was because it was an academic medical center, there was no pressure to dummy myself down. Mm. Curious and wanted to do twice as much work, someone was always willing to give me something to do and, and spend a few minutes giving me an orientation. So I, I was able to get on the task force that was looking how to re, reprocess the laboratory um, management 
okay. how, how requisitions and were, were, were throughputted. Okay, I got it. So, Deborah, are you saying you were poached uh, by the Presbyterian? I don't think it's called poaching <laughs> at that level. Um, I think it was a matter of this, this physician recognized me from my days as a student. And he also, I think, recognized that I knew what I was doing. And since I had written a report criticizing the institution for not being compliant, he mm-hmm. said, make us compliant. And I said, I'd love to, I'd love to work with you. Uh, okay, okay. So there wasn't like an elaborate like interview process and, and all of that. No, you, I worked directly for him. And what's even more interesting now is I think I, I, I think he offered me $200 a year more than I was making. And it never occurred to me to, to say, that's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are the yeah. benefits? Mm-hmm. You know, I, know. I just was so thrilled to have that offer. Um. And I don't, you know, I was making more money than any of my peers at that point. So it's uh, it's interesting. Satisfied. Our benchmarks are so our benchmarks are so different when we're when we look back, and we're like, what was I thinking? Well, we know better, right? <laughs> we always know better. And one of the lessons from that experience, and I hear you, is never sign something straight away. Always take it home, reflect on it. And, you know, we learn. We live and 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 we learn. So I appreciate that. So so Deborah, you know, when it comes to your career, you have transitioned multiple times. And when we talk a lot about transferable skills, people hear this term over and over. You actually have real life, real world examples of how you actually use transferable skills uh, in those transitions. So can we talk about that a little bit? Because I think that this will really help uh, a person who's listening right now, who's undergoing uh, a major career change. Right. Um, When I left Columbia Presbyterian, I actually went to work for American Express in their systems group. So what I did was emphasize and leverage the experience I had in developing a laboratory automation system and my quality assurance, quality review background to go work in the strategic planning group at American Express. Um, So that, you know, the transferable skills were, I, in that day and age, someone with a clinical nursing background could basically push a bedpan. There was you know, a role in research, for example. There wasn't a role, you know, in senior hospital management other than in in nursing. Mm-hmm. I was very lucky, very happy to shed the cloak of wearing, you know, Florence Nightingale's cape and white shoes and white stockings. And that was, you know, it, it was a, a business experience. I had also started into the executive program at Columbia Business School. So I had, and I was studying operations review and operations analysis, which was wonderful then going into a systems department. And strangely enough, I didn't work on, you know, those big box IBM, you know, tape machines. I worked on the water side of the business, which was, they were talking about launching a, satellite, a, 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 a string of satellites that would circle the earth to transmit satellite services. 
So that was certainly really fun. Well, years into that, I thought, well, this is all great, but everyone's doing nothing but talking about profits. Where is the heart in this? And I decided I really missed the healthcare environment. And, you know, I went, I was able to get a position as a healthcare management consultant. And I know it wasn't just my my business skills or my operational skills or my marketing ability. It it was the fact that I had a clinical degree and that made all the difference. So I think that anyone who thinks they need to throw the baby out with the bathwater, they no longer want to emphasize, you know, that they have a technical background. They need to work with a career coach who will help them identify how to position themselves using that clinical, the clinical or the technical background as a way to differentiate themselves and stand out from other people. Love that. What a full story, this, you know, full circle this story has taken because of uh, how you started versus where you landed in this part of the conversation. And uh, I, I um, absolutely love the fact that you know, there's nurses, there's that Florence Nightingale pushing the bedpan thing. That's fine. Some people love it and they love the routine and the predictability of that life. Um, and then there are others, right? It's like, I've done this. This has been great. What else? I am like the sponge. Columbia Business School, I'm going there. Uh, the satellite company doing God knows what. Oh, that sounds interesting. I'm going there. Oh, this is boring. I can go back. The lesson I'm taking away from what you're saying is you're always in the driver's seat of your career if you choose to be so, right? Um, I think I'm always looking for the next opportunity. I'm always eager to learn. I'm happy to be challenged and I don't shy away from work and I don't mind starting over at the bottom. Mm. Starting over at the bottom is particularly hard, Deborah, for a lot of fragile egos out there. <laughs> so I, well, I, I mean, I think that's why I think each individual has to decide what is most important to them. Yeah. Is the compensation? Is it a location? Is it what the what the opportunities and doors it's going to open to them next? Is it what they're going to be doing every day and if they enjoy it more? And in fact, I had a conversation yesterday where we were, t- I was talking to a, a, a friend whose son is in, was in the same kindergarten, basically, as my daughter. And, you know, he's working as a, a kayak river guide, mm. you know, after college. Yeah. A very successful, you know, family. Yeah. And, you know, I just said, kudos to you. Because yeah. Let him be who he wanted to be all along the way and didn't say, you need to sit behind a desk. You need to wear a nice shirt, but rather to say, I'm going to come see you in Alaska this summer. And I'll go to Patagonia next winter to visit you. Yeah. Be happy. Be happy. I was going to say that. And happiness looks so different for every single one of us. And then don't be scared. Don't be scared to be happy, right? Well, uh, I also think the message is, on it, is live in the moment. Mm. within the next few years. Let's face it, it's going to be hard to actually be on the river when you get to a certain age. Mm. could be developing a company at some point or managing a company, managing a bunch of guides. 
or you could be working in a lodge you know, that rents kayaks. You don't have to. So people also don't have to say, oh, good. Oh, goodness. I'm going to age out of this. Yeah. I'm too old to physically do it. Yeah, no, I get that. There's always a way and you have to adapt a little bit, like you said, to your um age situation you also your family situation right it may not be that easy to drop everything husband and wife and move to alaska and start a kayak company maybe it is maybe it isn't but uh, you're absolutely right make the most of the listener particularly in their um, earlier stages in their career you have a lot more choice than you think you realize um fantastic so Deborah, I want to like appeal now to the ears of the person who's listening, who's got those, you know, that entrepreneurial bug mm-hmm. uh, or the entrepreneurial mindset. You don't have to be, you know, a business owner to be an entrepreneur. So let's talk about your company, Job Wiz. Now, share with us, you know, you're going through all these interesting uh, job opportunities. Your career is evolving. You're learning. You're growing. Talk to us about this juicy little backstory on how you started job with compared to you know where you are today i was i was working as a healthcare management consultant and loving i mean i love the field i love being a consultant i love the variety of projects but i had two children in middle school and Mm. i really felt i needed to be present Mm. i couldn't it wasn't a matter of a baby i had wonderful nannies and I could drop in for quality time. Mm. To me, my children were at a very important age where I wanted to be the one that when they had questions or they came home and said something, I was addressing it. Um, And so I actually asked my current boss if I could modify my hours and not travel as much. And that lasted for a few months. And then he came to me and said, this isn't working out. Other people are suspect that you're you're you spend less time in the office. Yeah, I said, my work's getting done. Yeah, more they, than my work gets. Oh done. Oh my gosh! Yeah, trust and, issues. And you know, it, he didn't stick up for me. Yeah, yeah. basically what it came down to. So I was in a situation where I could continue to do what I was doing, and not be the kind of parent I wanted to be, or I could accept the challenge of leaving and figuring out what to do next. Mm. It actually took me two and a half hour, hours, two and a half hours. <laughs> I wish. wish it would have been hours <laughs> to get what job was up and running. Yeah. 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 And, and why this field? Well, one of the things I had been doing as a healthcare management consulting was working on a custom-built payroll personnel system. So I was very familiar with writing job descriptions. I was really familiar with requirements. I was familiar with the hiring process and the recruiting process. I was familiar with the language and the people in that field. And the salaries? Yeah. But also, um, it was around 2000 when Monster just came on. Mm-hmm. And everyone wanted to put their resumes online. Well, I could upload a resume. Mm-hmm. I wasn't afraid to sit there and do it. I wasn't afraid to go through an algorithm and, and work with that. And also in that day and age, it was acceptable to do a resume on a template. Mm-hmm. Microsoft was relatively new. 
office was relatively new and they had a template. And, you know, I'm sure they were exceptional resume writers in those days, your coaches, but they weren't, you know, they weren't for the general public. Mm. They were, most of the people who were writing exceptional resumes in that day were external recruiters mm-hmm. were, who wanted a client of theirs, an, an employer, to appreciate someone they were presenting. Mm-hmm. And they would construct a resume putting forth the outstanding qualities of a candidate. But the candidates didn't necessarily pay a resume writer. They yeah. pay a typist. And then they pay a printer to make offset copies of yeah. their document. Yeah. So JobWiz, you know, started out basically as I'll upload your resumes for you and show you how to, you know, manage an online job search. And in fact, my first tagline was JobWiz, job search with cyber savvy. Nice. And and Deborah, so you clearly identified a need, right? I, I would say, I would even say you were a little ahead of your time. And how did you go about like marketing and client acquisition and even awareness, like client awareness? How did people find out about you? I was very fortunate. There was someone named Wendy Enlo who ran a group called the Career Masters Institute. And that was slightly different than the resume writing group because she included career coaches and and she was a she is a very very shrewd smart businesswoman and Louise Kurzmark is the other individual who you know took me under her their wings and gave me advice and and you know answered my questions and in fact there was an old guard of about six you know six resume writers one called themselves the CFO expert. One was the CEO expert. One was the COO expert. One was the CFO expert and the CMO. And, and they were the creme de la creme. And they were the oh. working for the recruiter, the headhunters doing the resumes. Um, and in working closely or observing closely what they were doing, that's where I came up with the idea of JobWiz as an executive agent. There was no one who had grabbed that market opportunity to say recruiters work with employers to find the perfect placement, the perfect candidate. Who is helping an employee or an individual candidate who wants to manage and control and initiate their own job search to find their ideal opportunity to say, these are the parameters they want to, they want to meet. These are the, this is the selection criteria they want to satisfy. And where are those opportunities? And then I took it a step further saying, not, don't only ask where, where are the, where are the problems? What are the problems you solve? Where do they happen? What gives rise to those problems? That's where you want to focus and target your your, your search. But also, who has responsibility for in an organization to address those challenges and get them fixed? Because that's the person who you need to impress, who also has the ability as a decision maker to hire. And so I would do the research to position someone as uniquely qualified to solve a very discrete set of 
of challenges and identify where what 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 brought about what resulted what problems produced that set of circumstances that my client could address and who had the responsibility in organization and the budgetary authority to get it done oh my gosh so this is like real life detective work and this is several years before linkedin and mainstream you know um internet sites I think it was simultaneous because I was a very, very early, early. and I, I had multiple conversations with Reed Hoffman. Ah, yeah, it was uh, and In fact, I had a conversation where I, where I said, why don't you do some kind of job search feature? You're kidding. Thing. And the rest mm-hmm. is history. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, 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 I hear I'm sure, you. Excuse me, let me interrupt. I'm sure I was not the only person. Sure, that. sure. I get that. I get that. Um, so, yeah, you're right. Because 2003, 2004 is when, um, you know, LinkedIn was like this startup. And and uh, um, that's when you said, you know, it took you a couple of years to, to get Jobways off the ground. Right. And um, so even then, right, I mean, LinkedIn is also so... Uh, you know, in its early in its early days, how would you go about this research, Deborah? I'm curious. Oh, well, you couldn't do it online. I know it wasn't online. Um, what I would, but there were um, literature databases. So I would search the current literature, the current journals, the current newspapers for mentions of a specific company, and look for the name of an individual. And then contact that individual by phone through their corporate telephone. And either they would be the liaison that I would introduce my client to, or I would talk to that corporate contact to say who in the organization would be a good next person to discuss this with that could, you know, that has responsibility for solving these issues. Right. Person who, who manages this function. Okay, that's, I'm guessing, you know, so this is a physical Google, <laughs> right? And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just imagining you doing this, Deborah. And, you know, you probably had to go through many hoops because maybe uh, the person would be like, who's speaking? And why should I share that information with you? You know, you came across those obstacles. Um, it's very important to be trustworthy and mm-hmm. credible. And you have to show that by... Uh, and this is in terms of networking with the stranger also. You have to show, uh, you know, a lot of patience. You can't say, I only have five minutes to get this done. If you don't give me the answer, I'm going to someone else. You have to build a relationship. Yes. So the first time I might call and just leave a very pleasant message with the receptionist. The next time, 10 days later, I call and say, well, they didn't call me back. Can you tell me when it might be a better time to reach them? So then the receptionist would call their administrator and get some sense of what their schedule was. And then she'd say, or he'd say, well, let me just let you talk to their admin. So then I'd get the next step. I'd talk to the admin. And the admin, you know, I could relate to them one-on-one. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And then that's so much, like you said, the perseverance, it pays off, but you really, really need to be patient and you can't let the ball drop. And and Deborah, this is so exciting. And talk to us about, we're going to talk about how the, you know, your firm has evolved. But before we do that, do you remember how you got hired by your very first paying uh, client? It was, you know what, it's networking. It was a referral from another career industry professional 
who had been working with this individual and said to me, I think that you would be able to help them. I'm not, they want someone basically to do their job search for them. I don't do job searching. Mm -hmm. And that was my premise was I do the hard work for you. I do the heavy lifting. Mm. Someone either can protect their reputation, preserve their privacy. They also can continue working overseas and not worry about the time difference because I'm the one on the ground. Got it. Got it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, it's been so many years, uh, Deborah. I'm sure, you know, uh, your services and, and um, you know, your firm has been through so much change. So talk to us about that. And, and what are uh, some priorities for you now? Um, I, think, I think everything, the same thing holds true. There are two things that I would say have, have kind of bubbled up. One is the importance of positioning. In other words, I do a very comprehensive SWOT analysis for every single client mm-hmm. as what are the potential threats, mm-hmm. barriers, the roadblocks, the obstacles that that may, an individual may encounter in making the connections they need to land the job they want. So it's anticipating where there could be pushback from employers. It could be looking at the profession they want to pursue and say, you know, maybe you're in the the sunset of middle age and this is something, you know, venture capital at a a beginning analyst rank is really for the very young. And many of the venture capital firms only recruit from the top universities and then they, they sponsor those employees if they're good after a couple of years to go to a top business school. And even though you graduated 10 years ago from a top school, they don't want someone who's had 10 years of any ex- of experience outside of their field. Mm. Mm. So it's a SWOT analysis to say, let's look for the low hanging fruit. Let's yep. look for what's going to be possible. And let's talk about really what are your goals and why do you have them and how can they be met? Yeah. And so that's positioning the, yeah. to make sure that their packaging, what they're presenting is their strengths, their skills, their talent, their experience is going to appeal to a particular yeah. audience and to make that match. Yeah, to make that match. And to make that match, the foundation work is so important, right? I've had clients who are like, you know, they want to Positioning is really key. And they want to skip this part. What do I want? And they immediately want to get on like interviews. And I'm like, you're not ready. <laughs> not yet, because it's too soon. I, I hear you. And the more thorough, like you said, the foundation work, um, the better it is uh, down the road. And that needs to precede, precede writing a resume, because the resume is really a time st- timestamp snapshot. Yeah. yeah. And it's to present an individual in the best possible light for the opportunity that's their ideal next role. Um, it's not supposed to be a chronological reverse, reverse chronological graveyard of everything they've ever done since they started in the workforce. Now, that's really true. I love that you mentioned this analogy and a guest, another guest of mine also said, it's a living, breathing document. It 
and now uh, with adding with what you said it's not a graveyard of past achievements and past successes um i understand that and so debra um you know we talked about healthcare a little bit and you know you've got healthcare practitioners who diagnose the cause the root cause of the symptoms and you know this is something you've said i just like they do that i identify the source of the client's inability to attract the attention of hiring decision makers as someone who's helped hundreds of people to transition with confidence and purpose what are your two favorite tips to help let's say the listener is you know trying to attract the attention of somebody and is not able to do it and wants to learn sort of this debra technique very classy very discreet and at the same time gets the attention what would I be think, your um i i quickly can think of one tip mm. which is specialization mm. just much better being a big fish in a very small pond than to be one of many fish in a larger pond mm-hmm. which means sacrifice you may have to give up something in order to present yourself as a specialist however two things there a generalist is a specialist a generalist is a specialist being a general a, gen, a general manager they know a smattering of everything mm-hmm. true or they can choose to work with experts in each particular discipline but they are not they don't have a deep background or expertise in any one discipline their their expertise is as ex, being able to execute a plan and to lead others so one tip tip is definitely choose your specialty second it the subset of that is you can be a special you can be more than one type of specialist you just not cannot present yourself initially to any one individual as more than a single specialist because you will confuse them uh, and when you confuse them you lose them so i want to rewind a little bit so this is fascinating i've never heard it articulated in this way before a generalist is a specialist and i hear you when someone is told you know the riches are in the niches get into the specifics a lot of us feel uncomfortable because we want to be everything to everyone and it doesn't work that way because exactly what you said about positioning the it's not memorable right uh, so and and the second thing of, of what you said was yes you can have two specializations but not at the same time when you're positioning yourself well when you're promoting yourself when you're promoting yourself you want to promote yourself you know you want one specialty to stand out as being remarkable and memorable and once you have that person's attention you might introduce a hey as a bonus not only am i fluent in french but i also can belong in business communications in german italian Ah oh, okay okay. They're looking but that but the but they're looking for someone who will be working in French. In so you don't tell them oh I speak French, German and Italian because they're going to say how good is your French. But uh-huh, you okay. I'm a specialist speaking French and give them your qualification then when you get in there and say I'm also able to communicate oral and written 
in other romance languages. Got it, got it. I think this is reminding me of cake, maybe because I'm a little hungry. But it's like they're looking for cake and French is cake. And it's like Italian and German are the cherry on the cake. Wonderful, but they're not looking for the cherry. So give them, if they want cake, give them cake. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, fantastic. You know, Deborah, have you sometimes seen exceptions to this? For example, um, you know, like I'll have like a finance client who's passionate about SAP. And they're like, you know, hey, I'm not a one-trick pony. I want to do this and I and I love this as well. Um, have you seen that tech they can marry the two? Well, that's transferable skills usually. When you're transferable skills. Mm-hmm. Well, but you see, that's a niche. Their niche is those two skill sets that are married. They're an unusual person because they not only, you know, can code and program and work with the technical developers, but they also understand the science behind developing, for example, you know, the metal that that's used for the chip substrate. Right. No, I, I know. I meant, for example, like, you know, a project manager, SAP project manager who learned all of this while doing a finance role. So that tends to happen. And you're saying lean into the one that is stronger for you. Be known for that. And of course, then see what they're looking you, or, for. Well, or say, well, then there's two things. You can t- target two positions. First position is a role in the finance unit that implementing or overseeing SAP execution. And the second role is working for an SAP installer or third party vendor, you know, coordinating with the people, the clients in the finance area. Love it. Yeah, it's so much fun talking career strategy with you because you've seen your share of uh, people transitioning and, and pivoting and obviously your own experience. So this is fantastic. And and Deborah, there is this um, uh, one question that I ask all my guests. When you look back on your career, is there one standout defining moment that supercharged your career and helped you to move towards your current success? I think it was realizing that Rome wasn't built in a day. Mm -hmm. That, you know, um, polite, persistent pursuit was very important. Um, I think it's another thing about being attuned to whoever I'm corresponding with and working at the, at their level, at their pace. Mm. Do you remember how you came to this realization? I think it's just a matter of maturity. Mm. I think it's also a matter of as tolerant as people were at Columbia Presbyterian at me being an eager beaver. Um, I also was told, you know, when I went to American Express, and we were writing a five-year strategic plan and a 10-year strategic plan. We were told to do it in 10 weeks. And I finished my part in two. And I was like, well, why isn't everyone else just doing it? How hard can it be? I realized that for a whole big organization to function, everyone had to do their part. 
and everyone had to be coordinated with everyone else. And maybe I could do mine faster, but I couldn't, it wasn't a matter of rocking the boat or not. It's a matter of this is teamwork. Yeah. Yeah. Rome wasn't built in a day. Yeah. 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 But I mean, I know I hear it from people all the time and how frustrating it is that things just take so long because you're working in a group. I'm I'm part of a volunteer organization now. And I was thinking right before we started talking, we had this conference, I had this conversation six weeks ago, and it barely has moved off the dime because I had the time to work on it, but other people especially in a volunteer organization, and especially in the summertime here, are not making it a priority for mm. them. Mm. I understand. And I also know, I think the other thing, Sana, is knowing it's not my job to go ahead and say to other people, what's taking you so long or how can I help you? That's the job of the person in charge of the project. Mm. And is are you saying too much initiative or too nosy sometimes? Um, I think you let yourself people know you're available and ready, to, but you you can't be a nudge about it. You can't look like you're impatient. Mm. And not a good, good not a good look. The person in charge, it has to be good enough for you, or you move it on. I think that's the same lesson for when you're in a in a corporate position. If things are not moving the way you would like them to move in the direction you want them to move or at the pace you want, you are not going to be the disruptor. It's not going to work out well for you. Move yourself out of there. Remove yourself either in terms of put the duct tape on your mouth and shut up and wait or look for another position internally or outside of that company. Yeah, yeah. It might just be the right environment, or it may not be the right timing to be there for you. Yeah, timing. Timing is so critical. And I love that we are going back full circle to what we talked about. You always have a choice and you're you're in the driver's seat if you want it. Otherwise, don't complain where the car is going. And like you said, don't educate people and and uh sometimes silence can be your friend, right? And and disruptors are not always looked upon kindly. Um, particularly by senior management who have a very, very short-term memory. Well, I think also the other perspective is some people are cut out of the cloth to be a corporate player. Mm. And not everyone is. Mm. You're sitting here. I'm sitting here. I'm very happy taking on the risk of being independent. There is no floor underneath me. Yeah, and and your your uh, your friend's son is is uh, doing kayaks and and so happy. So it looks different for different people. So, uh, what kind of cloth are you cut out from? That is the question to think about. Fantastic. So, Deborah, what's next for JobWiz? Um, keep on growing. Mm-hmm. Keep on, you know, attracting wonderful clients who are, you know, curious who, you know, want, who are willing to work to find something different and better than what they have. Um, And mostly they do need to know themselves because I do not consider myself a life, I'm not a life coach. Yeah. 
very much a job search consultant and I'm very much, you know, a practical yeah. stepwise. Let's get the job here. We're, I'm a project manager. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you described it that way. Yeah, because job descriptions are so important. I'm this, I'm not this. Um. <laughs> you know, I'm not here. I mean, I'm, I'm, sim- I'm empathetic, I'm sympathetic. But if someone needs therapy, they need to do outside of the job search. Yeah, no, no, I totally understand that. So, so Deborah, if someone's listening and they want to find out more about you, what is the best way for them to do that? Um, they can either go to LinkedIn and mm-hmm. send a message or a connection request. Or they can go to my website, which is www.jobwiz, J-O-B-W-H-I-Z.com. Okay, perfect. I, I will link your website as well as your LinkedIn URL in the show oh, notes. Deborah, Thank this you. has been so much fun and such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time and wish you continued success with Job Search, uh, with JobWiz and beyond. And I wish you even more success and enjoyment is get hired. Thank you. Hey, you made it till the end. That shows that you care about your career. And that means we need to hang out a little bit more. So just a couple of things. A new podcast episode is dropped every single Monday. Wednesday, I take out one email which relates to your career and absolute amazing insights that I only share on email. So if you want to subscribe, go to the link in my show notes. That's superchargeyourself.com forward slash newsletter. And finally, did you know I hang out on LinkedIn, YouTube and Facebook live every single Friday at 2 p.m. Central European time. So you are more than welcome to join me. Just follow the links in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, maybe share it with three of your closest friends. And if you're feeling even more generous, leave me a fabulous review on Apple Podcasts. That really, really helps the discoverability of the show. So thank you so much for listening. Take care of yourself. And until next time, bye for now.